Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14 and 15. So while I read 1 Corinthians 11. <laughs> well, it is Lord's Supper service. But uh, in reading that this morning, I thought, wow, this is exactly what Romans 14 and 15 deals with, judging ourselves. The strong word in this passage about the need to judge ourselves. And so we'll keep that in mind as we proceed and we'll start um, you need your, your Bibles open to Romans 14, verse 1. You'll need to follow along in your Bibles because uh, we're going to run through the same material that we did last week. It's different material, but the same verses. And so, but I won't take time to read them, and I want you just to follow along. We're going to hit the high spots, and there's a whole, whole emphasis here about receiving one another as Christ has received us. That's our theme this morning. Receiving one another as Christ has received us. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us, that we would hear the word of the Lord, receive it, act upon it. We would proceed to the Lord's table in worship and do so carefully uh, and examining ourselves and no longer examining others but rejoicing in you and coming to you for the cleansing of our own souls and usefulness in your kingdom. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just for a little backdrop, the church at Rome was made up of cultural Jews and cultural uh, Gentiles. And the Gentiles... There may have been more of them than of the Jews, but that's all you need to have um, enough difference in order to have a problem. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who got married and they loved each other, they were sure, and they were blind to the differences before they got married. But within a few months after marriage, did I marry this person? I didn't know you were like that. Uh, we have differences on a lot of issues in life. And so tension develops. Uh, two people have different opinions, uh, different beliefs. Uh, someone recently posted online a picture of a rock. And said, this is a rock. And the first person to respond said, no, this is not a rock. It's a picture of a rock. It doesn't take much for us to point out the differences. Well, that's fine if it's just stuff that doesn't matter. But when it's in the church of Jesus Christ and when it's in your family or in your workplace and we get on that mindset, then uh, problems can develop. Now, bear in mind, we're mostly focusing on issues about which we can be different and still get to heaven. Uh, Interestingly, the church at Corinth uh, were not very strong on dealing with issues that were serious. We'll make mention of that a little bit later. But they'd had a lot of uh, issues with each other on things that uh, in eternity wouldn't matter. 
So we're going to be looking at the call of God to, for us to live in our homes and in our churches in a spirit of peace in spite of differences. Um, so many are weak. When you look at the first verse there in chapter 14, we're talking about those who are weak in the faith and those who are strong in the faith. There are many who are weak and many who uh, are strong and then they uh, make uh, get into conflict over that. And then as I was stating a minute ago just to refer to the Corinthians again in chapter 5, uh, they had no problem, apparently, with allowing someone to be very immoral in their church. They were doing nothing about it. And Paul had to write and exhort them to carry out church discipline. Uh, but they were, apparently, when you get to chapter 11, they were strong. And we see it in other chapters as well. They were strong on judging each other and not judging themselves. And so... Some of them were weak, some sick, and some died because they were not discerning the body of Christ. They were not discerning that when you're dealing with the church of Jesus Christ, he's the head, we're members one of another, and we're under orders to, commit, to uh, receive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. It's a very serious matter how you treat a brother or sister in Christ. And don't forget, uh, in most cases... I would guess maybe for all of you here, when you're at home, husband and wife, they're also brother and sister in Christ. And so uh, these are serious matters, and it is common in our world for uh, people to uh, miss the boat and have all, my, all manner of animosity on things that should be simple to deal with. And we'll see why it should be simple as we go along. In chapter 14 and 15 of Romans, there are some serious issues behind the surface issues. The surface issues have to do with what foods to eat and what day to worship and these kinds of things. Um, but the, the big issue here, if you just take these two chapters as a whole... The big issue here is how you treat your brother or sister in the home or in the church. Um, if we do not heed God on these kinds of issues, the Lord's Supper could, could become a problem. Uh, could bring uh, judgment. So in, in, in chapter 14, verse 1, receive the weaker brother. Uh, we may be dealing with an important issue, far more than what they're dealing with here, or something less. But the point is, do not overshadow the truth that is primary, and that is how we receive one another. How you treat a brother or sister in Christ is primary. Don't despise someone, verse 2 and 3, because you disagree with them. See, the issue is not primarily the issue of food or drink or whatever. The issue is how we treat one another. Don't despise. That's the focus. Uh, important issues are secondary issues. 
We see in these verses that we should be persuaded in our own minds where we stand. And so often, oh, that's not a problem. I know where I stand. (laughs) And you don't stand where I stand, so you're wrong. Well, uh, there can be all kinds of issues, and you're persuaded of one thing, and I'm persuaded of another. Another thing to keep in mind is if, if you or I have the truth, the biblical truth, on any particular issue, do you have any or do I have any grounds to be proud? Truth comes by revelation. It's not because you're smart. Peter, you just made a great profession of faith. You are the son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My father in heaven revealed that to you. What do you have? What do I have but that I was given it? And so if I was given it, why am I proud? Why do I think I'm better than you? Why, if, if what I have and what I know and what I understand is a gift from God, and if you're going to have it, it'll have to be a gift from God, why do I want to antagonize you? Why do I want to, why do I want to cause strife about this? Another point in verse 4, look at verse 4. We're all servants. None of us are masters. We're not judges. We're servants. Uh, in situations like this, in your home, or in your home, especially if you are under authority, uh, a child or a wife, uh, there's a biblical concept of learning to make a humble appeal. You have something that's different, and you, you need to have some communication. And so instead of trying to win an argument, you make a humble appeal, and you lay out before uh, your spouse or your fellow church member, here's what I see, and here's what I believe, and here are the scriptures, and here's why. And I'd ask you to pray about it. Then just leave it. Leave it, and leave it with God, and serve the Lord. And uh, why? Because we, God has not given us the calling to be judges of each other. And he's certainly not given us a calling to reject one another because of differences. Uh, in verse 6 through 10, he makes the point that both uh, the servants or the saints who eat things and those who don't, they're both serving the Lord. And giving thanks to the Lord. And, and in, in that particular case, God was okay with it. Am I not okay with things that God is okay with? Am I narrower than God on some of the things that uh, go on in our lives? In verse 10 through 12, uh, here's another important part as we are called upon. It's not a, sometimes it's not simple. It can be very challenging to get along with other people. And one of the key things, of course, is to realize I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to be judged. Uh, I'm not to judge you, but I am to judge myself. Uh, Because I'm going to have to give an account. 
of myself, not of you. Then in verse 13, again, this, he keeps repeating himself from different angles. Stop judging one another. Instead, be careful not to put a stumbling block. Well, that person's position is a stumbling block. That's not the stumbling block just being talked about here. The stumbling block is the way we handle things that are in a loveless way. God is not having any problem with these Christians at Rome who are different on secondary issues. The problem is attitudinal problems. The problem is a spirit of rejection. Don't handle things in your home or at the church in a way where lovelessness is the great hindrance. There is no greater hindrance than lovelessness. For there is no greater calling than to love even as he has loved us. And by this shall all men know that we are his disciples if we have uniformity on every jot and tittle. Bye. Forget that. We, we need to be very glad that God has this thing right. Well, of course he does. And so, love one another. Of the one another's that are in the epistles, they're, they're mentioned about 40-something times, love one another, pray for one another, uh, encourage one another. 16 of the times he repeats himself on love one another. Uh, should we get a clue from that, you reckon? So then in verse 14 and 15, respect the conscience of others who see things differently. And especially in verse 16 through 18, this, the, if this is probably the highlight of this chapter and this whole concept. Major on what God majors on. What does God major on? You may be in the middle of something, and, and it's, you can tell it's about to cause a little strife, or you, uh, a little heat is rising up, and, but you've hid these verses in your heart, and the Spirit of God says, wait a minute, here's what I'm after, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, if I'm in the middle of a situation with a brother or sister or with my, or with my wife or family member, and as I walk away from the discussion if I cannot honestly say there was righteousness being shared, that which was right, that which was holy, that which pleased God, there is peace. I'm not disturbed. There's peace and there's joy. In churches all across the land, in homes all across the land, you want to know something is missing? Peace and joy. You say, well, we would have that if and we point somewhere else. You may be in a war zone. But by the, wh whoever's, whoever you're pointing to, in case you don't know it, you cannot change them. So if you're on a track to change them, forget it. God doesn't want you to change them. They may need changing. He may be able to use you or I to help them to be changed. But he does not need our help. What he is calling us to do is to be clay in his hands. So in our experience of the issue that's going on, we are experiencing, we are manifesting righteousness, 
peace and love. And that is such good news because the one person that I can be involved in radical change is being clay in the Lord's hands for him to change me. So this is God's focus, his majoring. Um, the, uh, the position of the issue may be right or wrong. Um, here's a big issue, whatever it might be. But again, just to repeat myself, it's not that I'm right, not that I'm wrong, not that you're right, not that you're wrong. The issue is what spirit is manifest through my life. Is it righteousness? Is it peace? Is it joy? In Romans 14, 20, we're called to build up one another, not to tear each other down over these kinds of issues. Uh, in verse 21, the work of God in another's heart matters more than our personal freedom. There's, there are issues here about things that you may have freedom to do or to partake of, but you know in your heart of hearts it will hinder the gospel in someone else's heart. There are personal convictions that you should simply care, um, carry out on your own privately. That's in verse 22. I'm not going to go into the de details of that, of what, how you might categorize this one or that one. You work that out before the Lord in your own heart. So, again, beliefs and convictions should be held in great humility. And I go back to, uh, to sort of a point we were trying to make earlier about thinking about two different men. You've heard of both of these men. Uh, they were both highly educated, smart, and yet totally blind. They were both very religious. They knew religion. They knew Old Testament religion. But they had no clue about the main focus of the entire Old Testament. Jesus. I'm talking about Nicodemus and Saul. Now, incredible personalities, and I think if we met Nicodemus, we would probably find him kind of reserved and quiet and maybe peaceable and easy to get along with and a nice guy. I don't think I would have wanted to meet Saul of Tarsus. Because no matter what his normal personality might have been, he was an angry man. And when he saw Stephen martyred, he didn't lighten up. He got worse. Blind. Nicodemus blind. And Jesus blew him away. Nicodemus you can't see. There's a whole kingdom you don't know anything about. You can't see it. You can't enter it. You must be born again. What? Go back in my mother's womb? He's blind. All my life in early years, I would hear sermons about being born again, and invariably there was a, now we must be born again, and here's three steps. 
Jesus didn't give Nicodemus three steps. He said, Nicodemus, you're blind. It's the essence of it. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter it. You must be born again. It's like the wind. Do you have any control over the wind? Do you see the wind? It may be an imperfect picture, but it's one that Jesus used to help us to understand that new birth is something out of our control. It is something that God does. And yes, he calls upon us to repent and believe. And we repent and believe or else we'll never be saved. But when we repent and believe, we look back and see something we'd never seen before. Lord, it was you. This was not a joint venture. You get all the credit. You did it. You're the author and finisher of my faith. So what I'm saying is this reality should breed great humility. For what do you have but that you received it? Pride is totally out of place in a Christian's life. And it is pride that causes contention. Only by pride does contention come. It's the opposite of humility. When you and I allow the Spirit of God to show us how utterly dependent we are upon God and that everything that we are and have is from Him and to Him and from His glory, then we're going to make a great step in being able to receive our brothers and sisters and be patient with them. So in verse 22 through 23, uh, enjoy your freedom, but do not let strife or violence, uh, do not let strife violate your conscience. And then moving into chapter 15, verse 1, bear with those who are weak. What if God didn't bear with us? What if God was not sympathetic toward us? What if he did not uh, put up with us and support us? What if he was not long-suffering? Have you ever noticed that one of the things that shuts down solving a problem in your home or in a church is impatience? And a prideful insistence on my way or the highway. He says, don't please yourself. Don't insist on having your own way. When you look at verse, 15, uh, verse 1 of chapter 15 and think about that concept of not having your own way. Put a mark there for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's describing the way love acts. Love is Patient. Love is kind. It focuses, verse 2, focus on how to build up each other in the faith. And then in verse 3, remember the example of Christ. Christ is our example. Even Christ pleased not himself. He could have called 10,000 angels. He was not present on this earth to carry out his agenda. He was present on this earth to carry out his father's agenda. We're present on this earth in Christ to carry out his agenda, not ours. Remember the example of Christ. 
even Christ pleased not himself, but was reproached for our sake. Now, all of these exhortations in Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15, you know what the problem we have with them? They get in the way of our rugged individuality and our strong opinionated positions. <laughs> we just can't go down two roads at once. But nevertheless, to the degree that we live according to these scriptures, most church and family conflicts will disappear. This is how practical, this is how powerful the words are in Romans 14 and 15. He has set forth for us a way. It doesn't change necessarily the, the conflict that's in the other person's life, but it radically changes us to where we are manifesting a spirit of peace, a spirit of love, manifesting joy, and our works line up with God's standards, they're righteous, righteousness. If we turn aside from that and we focus on trying to have uh, uniformity on secondary issues or our way or the highway, we quickly lose sight of all that is most important. Go back, uh, I know it can be painful and don't spend much time there, but just for a moment, go back to the last big fight you had. Don't go to what they were doing. Go to what you were doing. Uh, people come for counseling, and, and I can see so many faces. I'm thinking of a couple that uh, one is, I believe, now in heaven, and the other one is somewhere in another state. I had never met them before. And they sat down in my office and they began to chit-chat and smile and laugh and talk about this and this and that and the other. I'm thinking, why are they here? They seem to be so well-behaved. and they, I, I didn't see any daggers as they were looking at each other and laughing and smiling. Well, then we had prayer and changed the subject to their marriage. Oh, boy. The daggers, the submachine guns the daggers, whatever. Oh, my. They both had a long, specific list of the other's faults. And you know what they said about themselves? Oh, I know I'm not perfect. But they had nothing specific about their own need. So it is. And when we focus on changing the other person or demanding that they do or say what I say or do, then righteousness and peace and joy go out the window. This is God's big bottom line. In Romans 14 and 15, the kingdom of God matters more than personal opinions. God values righteousness and peace and joy among his people more than he, far more than he desires. In fact, he does not require Uniformity. Uniformity must not be compared to unity. I have precious unity. I'm not striving for unity. We're told in Ephesians 4 to work to uh, maintain the unity of the Spirit. I remember many years ago, uh, a dear, dear brother stood in this pulpit 
and, and preach what is known to many people as the five points of Calvinism. And then he said, this is the gospel. If you don't understand this, you don't understand the gospel. You don't have the gospel. And if, we don't have, if we're not all on the same page on this, uh, we don't have unity here, and I'll have to resign. Well, the first and the only time in my life I stood up after him and went to the pulpit and said, Dear brother, this does not have to be. There were people crying, and rightly so. He had just said something he had no indication about when God saved him. He didn't know one whit of that when God saved him. Here you are and here you're lost and you're dead in your sin. And this represents a bridge. And over here represents now you are alive in Christ and you're a child of God. And it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, there's some, un, there's some important underpinning about the gospel where, where we, we, we're brought from lostness to being saved. And we hear the gospel and we believe the gospel. We repent, we believe, and we say, wow, God saved me. Anybody that I've ever met or dealt with that went from here to here, they don't say, wow, we got me saved. God did his part and I did mine. Praise God. No, I never heard anybody say that when you're giving their personal testimony. Now, as they became a Christian, as they started in the Christian life, they could understand things that they had no idea about when God saved them. There is not a word in the New Testament for the unbeliever about predestination. It's a great word. In my first awareness of it in college, I was given a caricature of it, and I was afraid of it. And I, I passed it by, and I wouldn't even look at it. It's a great word for believers. It's all true, wonderfully true. But when you're giving the gospel to someone, you don't say, Brother, I need to find out if you're predestined. I need to find out if you're the elect. God doesn't pass out that information. He says that world out there is full of sinners who are lost, dead in their sins. Tell them about Jesus. Call upon them to repent and believe. And when God works, when God quickens, when God brings a person from death to life, somehow they're brought from here to here, and they wake up in Christ Rejoicing in Jesus and Jesus alone, by grace through faith in Christ alone. But people sincerely, but wrongly, try to work out all the details, fine point details, and, and make that a, a focus of unity of the gospel. That's uniformity of understanding. But the unity of the gospel that we're to strive to maintain is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15. And we're called this world full of sinners. They're not merely broken. They're sinners. They're under the wrath of God. 
They've broken the law of God. They're under the judgment of God. That's why Jesus came to Calvary. That's what we celebrate this morning. We celebrate that God found us in the midst of our deadness and, and death. And, and by the grace of God, we heard the gospel. We had heard it with our human ears many times, but there came a day when it penetrated. And on that day when it penetrated, it was not because you were wiser than the day before. Or that you were wiser than your neighbor. It's because God in his grace quickened you and gave you life. And so we rejoice in Jesus and what he's done and what he continues to do. The book of Romans, while in chapter 14 and 15, while it focuses on dealing with secondary issues, the principle of how you deal with any issue is the same. If you're in Christ, that's grace. That calls for a response of humility. If you're in Christ, you know how patient, how long-suffering God has been with you. And so you're going to keep giving the gospel to the other. Well, I don't know if they're going to be one of the elect. Of course you don't. God hasn't told you. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell anybody else. You, you can't pull that shirt off and look on the back and say, elect, non-elect. God doesn't do that. Sinner, give them the gospel. Plant, water, he gives the increase. That's freedom. And that's joy. There are so many wars that go on in churches and homes because we forget that what matters is righteousness and peace and joy. The church is his, not ours. We're his servants. We're not the masters. The home is his. Blood bought. Designed to reveal Christ. He's the head. We're members one of another. He owns a church. He owns a family. And so we need to trust him. He can change the other person. Just like he's changing you or just like he's changing me. We can wait for him to do his work in the other person. Wait is not passive. It's manifesting the spirit of Christ along the way. We work together for the sake of the kingdom. We give up seeking revenge, paying people back. We resolve to speak good and not evil of others. We desire, we plan, we focus on keeping the main thing, the main thing. Righteousness, joy, and peace. These uh, principles in Romans 14 and 15 are not possible apart from the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God is not about secondary issues. It's about righteousness about peace, about joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we desperately need to know and to be in awe of Almighty God. We must not grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. I'll close with a, a point here.
on the foundation because we believe in God's sovereignty, we trust in his wisdom, we understand his power. In Christ, we're filled with his love, we're guided by his spirit, we walk in the steps of Jesus. We know that he's the author and finisher of our faith. And yet we live in a world where, boy, there's so many people who need to be changed. John G. Miller gives us a twist on the famous serenity prayer. It goes like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change and the courage to submit to change for the one that I can and the wisdom to know that it's me. That is me. Boy, that is so freeing. To let go of so all this. There's a world of things out there that are wrong. And it can eat you alive. There's a world of people that are doing wrong. That are, world, and we forget these people. They're blind. They're like we were. And if I'm not blind, it's grace. I'm not better. But if I'm in grace, I promise you, there is a lot of change that God is going to be doing in your life and mine till we get home. And if we'll focus on that, we won't have time to get out of sorts at anybody else. If, have you been amazed, if you've been a Christian a long time and you've studied the Word of God, have you changed in your theology at all? I'd be surprised if you've been a Christian 30, 40 years and you still believe exactly. Uh, You got it all right from the get-go. When you're in the Word of God and you're walking with God, you, you don't change away from the Word of God, but you conform more and more into His image and into His likeness. And God has so much to do in my life, in your life, that's enough to keep us busy. And keep us out of trouble of meddling in the lives of other people. And we can love them and give them to God and keep serving the Lord. Even if it's your wife or your husband. Father, we thank you. All of this starts at the cross. It didn't start anywhere else. It starts with the Spirit of God revealing to us lostness. Our need of a Savior. It starts with the Spirit of God using the Word of God to unveil to us Jesus. It calls with the Spirit of God moving in our hearts. Calling, repent, believe. All who come to me, Jesus says, he will in no wise cast out. So Father, if there are those here this morning who have never come to the cross, may this be the day. If there are those of us here and we are not discerning the body of Christ and we flippantly or wrongly or judgingly speak of brothers and sisters in ways that grieve the Holy Spirit, may this be a day of repentance among God's people. May this be a day as we come to the Lord's table when we get refocused on righteousness that only comes from you and peace that only comes from you. And joy 
that only comes from you. And we bless you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.